Books Do viewers. So today is February 1st, 2021, and I was lucky enough to uh, hear from the publicist of an author whose book actually launches tomorrow. It's not a debut book. She's written um, short stories and novels before, but I was so excited to hear from her publicist because I had put a book of her short stories on hold at the library and it's just been sitting there and waiting. I've been waiting at position five forever and ever, hadn't gotten the book yet. And then um, Lisa's publicist made contact. And so I am lucky enough to bring her to you today so she can talk about her brand new novel. So welcome Lisa Cross-Smith. I um, am so thrilled to have you with me and I'm so sad that I haven't still gotten to uh, read your book of short stories, but I wanted to introduce it uh, because I found an amazing quote. It came in on an email that I got by Roxanne Gay, who is um, an amazing author, uh, the work columnist for the New York Times. There's hardly any title in the world that Roxanne Gay doesn't own. And Roxanne Gay recommended your book, which is the short story book, So We Can Glow. And she said, here are 10 books that I hope will bring some light into your world. And she described your book as one of the most charming short story collections I've ever read. I can't imagine higher praise than that. The stories are <laughs> warm and sexy and romantic. Some of the stories have a little edge. Reading this book is like being able to carefully dissect the secrets of a woman's heart. So, book viewers, let me introduce you to the dissector of the secrets of women's hearts, Lisa Cross-Smith. <laughs> Lisa, welcome to Book Stew. You are our first, episode, uh, your first person ever to come to us from Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, that's awesome. What an honor. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, and thanks for, thanks for reading that. Roxanne is amazing, absolutely. Thank you. What, how did you feel when you read that? Were you like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, you know, you know, I was really fortunate to meet her years and years ago. Um, yeah, back when Roxanne and I met, she had maybe a thousand or so followers on Twitter and, and we connected then and now she has almost a million, I think. Um, she does everything. She is so kind. She is just an amazing, amazing person. She answered a lot of my questions when I was first getting started. Um, you know, she took me out to dinner. She she is just so generous with her time and, and so and just such an amazing person. She can do anything. And so <laughs> she's one of those people. Absolutely. When her name is on something, it really makes people perk up and pay attention. And I just feel really, really blessed to have had her, you know, do that for me for sure. Well, if you weren't something special, I think she w would never have bothered with you. And I have to say, <laughs> I was reading your bio on your on your website. Tell me about this oh, baseball okay. thing that was going on. I, I of course, being in Boston, uh, you have to be a follower of the Sox. But after they broke my heart in the '70s, I never even recovered enough to go crazy when they finally <laughs> reversed the curse. So what, where, where does your interest in baseball come from? Yeah, I just really love it. I love it. I love all that it represents, just the warmth and the newness of spring. I love how it goes away, you know, in the winter and it comes back for us in the spring. And I love that it's a consistent thing. I really love like, um, 
consistency. I love that there's a baseball, several baseball games on like every night during the season. Um, I love the sounds. It's just like nostalgia for me. Um, my dad loves baseball. So I, j- I just love turning it on and having a baseball game on when I'm doing other stuff. I'm like you though. I like, you know, since we don't have a professional team here, I, I-, I keep my distance a little bit because sports can make me really emotional. <laughs> and You're right. You get your heart broken and stuff. So it's like, I do have a sort of cold distance from it you know now <laughs> so i don't because i mean the reds are the closest team to here and they're heartbreakers every season so. <laughs> but so are you do you find yourself unique in your locale because i would think that's much more of like college basketball uh center of the world <laughs> did people think you were weird being into, into <laughs> baseball <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, there are a ton of baseball fans here. We just, they don't know what to do with us. We have a minor league team um, that's really great. And they, they, you know, they filter the boys down here from the Reds and then, you know, they'll come here for rehab and then go back up to Cincinnati and a really beautiful stadium. So, I mean, we, you know, they, they don't know what to do with us. We just kind of find our way. But I mean, at college basketball, I love college basketball too, but you're absolutely right. This is like a capital of college basketball. So they can sort of just ignore the baseball people. (laughs) And then how did you get into professionally writing about baseball? Because that's quite a leap from being a fan in a place that doesn't even have a professional team to actually, you know, getting paid to write about it. Yeah, you know, it it hasn't happened a lot um, with me, you know, actually writing professionally about baseball. But, but what I always try to do is just write about the things I love. And that is on the short list of things I love a lot. So, you know, it's like period pieces, cozy things and tea, Jane Austen, baseball. I'll write about those. And that seems like it's not even like work to me because I love them so much. And I can go on for, you know, for so long about those things specifically. When did your interest in writing start? Um, I used to always write stories even when I was little um like I would take my mom's catalogs and cut pictures I would cut the pictures of the people out and sort of like make families and then make like a world for them I would be like you know the dad's a teacher they have a dog and they weren't really like stories but I just like to imagine what their lives were like and that's sort of where it started I mean I always leaned towards creative writing classes and um and, and books and I loved reading so much and and so it would just it sort of slowly became what would happen if I tried to write a story? And that was in high school and then in college, I majored in English and took a lot of creative writing, but but it never felt like a real thing that I could do. It never felt like a thing that I would be able to do. It felt like a thing that other people had a magic key to getting done that maybe I'd never figure out, I guess. But I've always I've always wondered what it would be like, you know? So you almost created like a Sims of your own when you were a kid (laughs) or a Farmville or something. Did you save any of those cutouts? You know what? I I don't think so. There may be like two. There may be two because I used to laminate them. I used to cut them out of the magazines and then put tape on the um, front and back so I could keep them like in my file. But um, there may be two of them at my parents' house in the basement. I should probably ask them about that. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you after the episode is over to go into the basement and find those because I would (laughs) love to have pictures of them as part of the episode. I think that's so great. I can remember 
being outside our local supermarket with my brother when I was little, and what I would do would be to make up stories about people walking in and out of the supermarket, basically to keep my brother occupied so that he wouldn't be like tearing up the inside of the car. And I'd say, <laughs> well, look at that lady. You know, she's got this weird wagon going on. What do you think is at the bottom <laughs> of that bag? So I think um, thinking about other people and um, really tr putting words in your head about what you think they're up to, what you think they're thinking. I, I, I would bet that a lot of writers started out, that was how they started out. Other than being readers, of course, because you know I've never Keep met writing. a writer yet who isn't a really avid reader. But I know you right. mentioned your passion. So again, on your website, you're, you don't put like two bullet points of things you love. You've got <laughs> like a full grocery cart's worth of things you love. So I wanted to pick out a couple of them and just okay. uh, stage a little battle between things you love and similar things that I loved. So I'm just going to okay. do a few of them. So my first one is Paul Newman versus Daniel Craig. Those were both on yours. Now, I, right. I don't think, I'm probably a lot older than you, but I don't think anyone ever holds a candle to Paul Newman. I mean, Daniel Craig, good, um, but Paul Newman sure. is, to me, was the whole package. So what's uh, what's your, who wins in that battle? Yeah, there's nobody to compare to um, Paul Newman, no. Okay. No, he's the one, the one, he's the one you say and everybody just kind of, you know, everybody sort of shuts up. There's nothing else to say about him, <laughs> men and women. He's just like, like, he's just, you know, actually perfect, so. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. So Daniel Craig is, is, makes the cut, but it's really like the Paul Newman sweepstakes that he's participating in. Yeah, yeah, everyone's participating in it. So no one can get their feelings hurt. It's everyone, and then there's Paul Newman. <laughs> okay, that sounds, I'll go along with that. Now, this is a very important one. Benedict Cumberbatch okay. versus Colin Firth. And we're talking about Sherlock versus Poofy Shirt uh, in Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Darcy. Mr. Darcy. Now, you had both of them on your list, and, and I know it can't be apples and oranges because they're both gorgeous Brits. So what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Colin has to win there because of Pride and Prejudice. I mean, once you play Mr. Darcy, it's kind of locked in. Now, we'll see if Benedict ever plays Mr. Darcy and then have to revisit this. <laughs> wow. Now, that's a thought, right? I don't know. I don't even think he would bother entering into that sphere. I'm amazed that there were any Mr. Darcy's after Colin Firth, but you do list all of them too. So you are definitely um, a, a Mr. Darcy stan, even though you agree with me that Colin Firth is like way up there, right? That's sure. I really like the, I, yeah, I really like every version of Pride and Prejudice though. It's like, I'm a member of the Jane Austen Society of North America and people will really, like the girls will really get fussy about it. I'm not fussy about it. I just love a Mr. Darcy. Um, and actually, Gabriel Oak from Far From the Madding Crowd is my Mr. Darcy. That's how Ooh. I frame it. Like, he he is my, like, I actually choose Gabriel Oak over Mr. Darcy. But so I, so I do not have the same, like, just, like, real intensity about who plays Mr. Darcy. I just love and appreciate Mr. Darcy. So I do like the Matthew McFadden one from um, the movie, too, that came out in 2005. I do have to admit, but I don't talk about this a lot publicly because people really want to fight, and I don't argue 
<laughs> All right, well, I'm only going to hit you up with one more, and this probably isn't as <laughs> controversial. So I noticed you picked um, the REM song, Find the River, and you had, um, mm -hmm. you had it listed as really almost like the poetry of the song, the words of the song. But I would go with night swimming over a Find the River. And the only way I found Find the River is because I'd be listening to Night Swimming 30,000 times and eventually I'd <laughs> fall asleep and it would drift into Find the River. So what, what is it about Find the River that, uh, that draws you so close to it? Yeah, I, I do love the list. I love when he's just mentioning the herbs and the, you know, and the plants. I just love those words, bergamot and vetiver, and, and you know, and when he just says the words like that, I love it. But I'm with you on night swimming too. I mean, it, the album is perfect. That song is so beautiful, and it gives you such a feeling, even without the words, um, even without those specific words. You have a feeling when you listen to that, and that's why I love about Michael Stipe and REM anyway. Just like I can't, like, you know, anything. It's like when I get started with the list, uh, you know, it, it got longer and longer because I love so many things and there's so many reasons why. But I'll just be like, look, that song is so beautiful. I had to add it to my list. And then I've just can like now I'm just committed to keeping it going no matter what. <laughs> like, it's just going to get absurdly long and that's fine. Well, it's very helpful to anyone who wants to interview you because there's certainly no lack of knowledge about <laughs> what you like and what you enjoy and what your favorites are. But I'm thinking about the R.E.M. song and the herbs mentioned, and I think that's a perfect segue into uh, This Close to Okay, because um, I guess what, I'll, what I'd like you to do is uh, give the viewers and listeners a, a short summary of the book and maybe start with what inspired you to create these two characters, um, one of whom is very troubled and, and you, what I loved about the book the most is the way you unpeeled his backstory, um, but it was well integrated into the forward story, which was really basically the story of an incredibly intense weekend with two people that you would never would have put together in a million years. But um, the main character's uh, home becomes a place of comfort for the secondary character. And so I can understand your fondness for herbs and beautiful smells because I associate that with her house. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the book, maybe about how it came about, and then I'm gonna ask you to do a, sm a short reading. Sure, sure. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for reading. Thank you for your kindness there. I, um, yeah, so it's always hard for me to say where the idea comes from, because ideas for books and stories sort of come to me in pieces. Um, with, with this book, specifically, I made a note in my um, in my phone that just said, man, um, man's go contemplating jumping from a bridge and someone stopped him. Um, and that's really what happened. And then it sat there for maybe like a year. That's usually what happens. Like I just have a list of ideas of potentially good, good ideas. They're not all good, but I, I'm like, what if this were, you know, what if this is a good idea? Um, and then from there, I really just started thinking what, who, who would stop him? And then what would happen after she stopped him? And then what if she was, you know, uh, what if she felt compelled to, to, to look after him for a weekend. 
I really love stories that take place in a short amount of time. Whiskey and Ribbons was just my first novel. Um, it has um, some flashbacks um, and other sections, but one of the core sections takes place just over a weekend too. And so um, I really like movies and books that do that and throw people together. It's that forced intimacy. Um, so in this close to okay, um, my character Tally is on her way home from the gym um, after work and she sees a man about to jump, jump from a bridge and she stops and gets out and talks to him and keeps him from jumping off of the bridge. And then is, um, um, is like, well, let's go for coffee. She's a therapist, but not telling him that because she's afraid of how he'll respond to talk therapy or how he would feel about um, a profession, a person who's a professional trying to talk to him. So they go for coffee. She she does a lot of reading his energy is what she calls it to see if she's safe. She's a woman. He's a man. She does not know him. And obviously he's got issues. Um, and then eventually they go back to her house where she's like, well, let's eat together. Her house is a really safe place um like we were saying she she wants to make it really comfy and cozy and so she just makes it her job um not her real job which is her job as a therapist but she wants to make it her job for the weekend to look after him he tells her um after a little bit of poking he tells her that his name is Emmett and um and from there the book just has their secrets unraveling she has a lot of issues and things that she has going on he has stuff going on too it's written from both of their um that we're, we get to see both of their points of view. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, it's just me wanting to reach into the intimacy of what happens when two strangers are thrown together and decide to spend the weekend together to learn about each other and to learn more about themselves and to heal from this brokenness that they both have. And to also share an amazing amount of trust on both sides. Um, that, that, part was very impressive because in the beginning I'm like what like does she have an where are her knives you know where is her panic room but absolutely um, you just you portrayed him so beautifully that the sense of trust that they had for each other really made sense and it was almost on display right from the start, like viscerally, there was a, a, a force field of trust between them, which certainly doesn't happen frequently, doesn't happen between men and women a lot, especially these right. days. So I think um, you, you get the reader right to where you want them quickly by just, and it's not even said so much in words, it's just the feelings you're able to convey between the two characters. So if if it's okay, let's re, let's move into the reading because then instead of just talking about it, we can have the readers and viewers kind of participate along. So, Absolutely. So I think it'll probably need a little bit of setup. So uh, Tally. Oh has, sure, sure. Tally's just um, she's just kind of uh, plucked this man that she's calling Bridge initially. Um, off the bridge right. and convinced him to come into her car and go and have a cup of coffee with her. Right, right. And she, you know, in order to do this, I knew I was going to have to explain why she would feel comfortable doing something like this. But I've given Tally this this really strong inner compass, this really strong guide that she listens to, and she she feels she feels like this is what she needs to do, and she's willing to take those risks. Um, so this is them sitting at the coffee shop and these are um, Tally's thoughts. 
Once when Tally was 10 and playing in her room by herself, content and humming, her mother had told her she was a lonely little girl. She'd never forgotten it. What an awful thing to say. Maybe someone had told Bridge he was a lonely little boy once. Did you want something to eat? Would probably be a good idea, she said. She stood at the counter and ordered two coffees from the barista after exchanging hellos. Bridge looked down at the glass pastry case. Without waiting for an answer, she ordered the last two old-fashioned pumpkin donuts they had left. She paid and went to the condiment station to pour soy milk in her cup, a small shake of raw sugar. Bridge followed her, and they found a table together. They sat in the corner next to a pole with white twinkle lights wrapped around it, their atomic halos softening everything in their glow. He peeled off his jacket, thanked her for the coffee, the donut. His shirt seemed dry. He had nice hands, coffin square shoulders, a light brown reddish beard that matched his freckles. He slicked his damp hair back, rolled up the cuffs of his sleeves. She waited for him to take a drink of his coffee. When he took a drink of his coffee, they could begin. This was a therapy session, whether he knew it or not. He had to expect her to ask a lot of questions. They'd met under extraordinary circumstances. They were in this together. He sipped his coffee, broke off a piece of donut and ate it. He was very neat, careful to keep the crumbs on the plate. How are you feeling? She asked. I need to take my medicine, he said, after he chewed, swallowed. Antidepressants? That's all this was. The chemicals in his brain were off kilter and his medicine would fix it. She'd had clients who went off their meds, and it wasn't until they had an extreme wake-up call that they realized how much they needed their prescriptions. Had the bridge woken Bridge up? She could take him to get his meds and pay for him. Where's your medicine? My backpack, he said, tilting his head toward his feet, where it was. He kept eating. She mirrored him, dug into her donut, a treat she allowed herself only every now and then, but tonight was obviously different. The crumbs were sticking to her fingers, and she wiggled them to shake them off. We could get a bottled water, and um, is there someone you could stay with? Do you think you need to go to a hospital? I could take you there, she said. There were people she could call. She had connections, doctors, a fireman who used to be a neighbor. She could piece a rescue together. Didn't he need to be rescued? Antihistamines, it's my allergy medicine, he said after he drank more of his coffee. Like, look, lady, why would I go to a hospital for allergy medicine? You're being crazy. I'm fine. Please stop being crazy and let me drink my dark blend in peace. Well, I mean, because of the bridge. Hospital, because you were going to jump to your death. That's why hospital. That was then. This is a new moment. Still important to discuss, though, don't you think? I'm not from here. My family's from Clementine, he said. Tally had heard of it. New Clementine was a small city in southeastern Kentucky, about three hours away. You're half black? I don't imagine there are a lot of us and Clementine, Tally said, leaning forward. She'd never seen a face like Bridges before, mixed with a million things. His thick, Kennedy-like, dark blonde hair blushed with red. My grandmother was black, and no, you're right. Not a lot of us know, he said. She liked that he told her something about his family and how he blew across the top of his coffee, coffee the ripples it made. She liked watching him finish his donut. Her brain fizzed. This man wanted to die less than an hour ago, but now he was sitting across from her, careful not to burn his mouth. He seemed to purposely flood himself with more gentleness as he thanked her again. His necklace had slipped to the front of his undershirt, a small gold cross winking light. Should we call your family, she asked, pulling her phone out of her pocket and setting it on the table in between them, though she couldn't say she expected him to agree. In order to keep him talking, she would have to tell him about herself. 
My family is from here in Tennessee. Some are from Alabama. Do you get along with your family? I don't care about things like that. He said, what do you care about? I don't care about small talk. Neither do I. That's why I'm asking you about big things. So we don't waste our time together, she said. The corner of his mouth raised and twitched. I like this song, he said. The coffee shop speakers were playing radio head down low, knives out. I do too, it's so moody and strange, she said. Commiseration, empathy. It usually worked, got people to bloom like flowers. Was this your um, first suicide attempt? I don't know what it was, but I guess I feel better now. It's hard to say. He felt better this quick. She didn't believe him. Going to the bathroom. He stood, taking his backpack with him. Okay, she said, nodding. When he was behind the bathroom door, she immediately moved to his chair and rummaged through his pockets. A receipt for his jacket. He'd bought it that morning. What kind of person goes out in the morning and buys the jacket he wants to die in? Tally glanced up to make sure he wasn't opening the bathroom door. All clear. She was nervous and excited, the adrenaline rabbit beating her heart, her hands shaking. In an inside pocket, she found folded paper, a note. She didn't have time to check. She pulled it out and put it in her pocket, glanced at the bathroom door again, and put her hand back in his jacket. Another piece of paper. Another note. She took it. No way would he not notice both of them missing, but she'd figure that out later when she could get alone and read them. They were probably nothing. She sat in her seat, drank more of her coffee. Two minutes and he returned with his backpack, sat across from her. Yeah, I'm definitely feeling better now, he said. I splashed cold water on my face. Technically, you already had cold water on your face from the cold rain. I guess you're right. Bridge was gaslighting her in a yellow-orange whoosh, almost choosing suicide and not acting like it was no big deal. She was frustrated with him, felt connected to him. The idea embarrassed her. She had a habit of forming quick, intense connections to people she barely knew. Before GPS, worrying over whether someone she'd given directions to made it to their destination. Or when she was in a bigger city on public transportation, not being able to stop herself from asking a crying person if they were okay, even when everyone else was determined not to speak or make eye contact with them. Occasionally, clients got intensely attached to her, emailing and calling at all hours of the night, wanting her to meet their families. She reminded them that clear boundaries were important for everyone to have, although she didn't tell them how hard it was for her to listen to her own advice. So who wouldn't want to continue on there? And I, I know that this reading has hooked a lot of viewers and that they're going to run to hopefully the bookstore, uh, local <laughs> independent bookstore, got to put in a plug for them, Amazon or their library to pick up This Close to OK. And then your next book is coming out when, Lisa? Um, it's slated for 2022. It's hard to say now. I don't have an exact date, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's when it's supposed to roll out. So, you know, another one coming next year, a novel. Okay. So I'm afraid we have to wrap up now. I'm sorry that we're out of time. I would have had you read the whole book <laughs> and do a marathon <laughs> reading. Someday I'll have a guest on and we'll just read the whole book. Um, but, uh, but I'm really glad I read it, and I'm so glad that we met and that I have a chance to introduce you to our readers and viewers at Book Stew. So thank you so much for joining me today, Lisa. I love this book. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Book Stew viewers, um, 
I also am going to show you copies of Lisa's other books, their covers, and hope that you have better luck at getting them <laughs> from the library than I have lately. There's apparently a, a strong demand for her books here in, uh, in, Massachusetts, in Eastern Massachusetts. So thank you for joining us today. Please uh, search out Lisa Cross Smith and her books, and uh, happy February. <laughs>